Welcome to Wild Speculation. I'm Andrew Rising, and I will be your guide on this journey through the strange, wonderful, and sometimes disturbing worlds of speculative fiction. This next stop on our journey takes us to the world of social science fiction, stories that hold up a frosted mirror to our own world and ask if our social norms continue to make sense when you remove the context. So sit back, question the very fabric of society, and enjoy. I am the monster. The first time I wake up after the bomb, all I can think about is the pain radiating from my right arm to the rest of my body, sharp but constant. Breathing is difficult. When I try to pull away from whatever is hurting me, my arm is pinned. Only then, as I try to free my arm, do I realize I can't feel my right hand. What happened to my hand? Why can't I feel my hand? What is on my arm? I need to get... Some small, rational part of me knows that I need to lie still and wait for help. Moving could make things worse. But that rational voice is overridden by the pain and fear and the possibility that no one is coming to help me. I thrash about, hyperventilating, trying to free my arm. If I can only do that, I am convinced everything will be okay. The pain, already the most excruciating I have ever felt, pulses with a new intensity making my vision go white. I pass out. The second time I wake up, the pain is still there, but dull and throbbing, kind of fuzzy around the edges. Smashed to shit! They're gonna need to amputate and get a mechanical replacement right away, or the nerve damage might become too extensive for the prosthetic to take. My mind is strangely sluggish, and it takes me a few minutes to piece together what these words mean. Amputation. Prosthetic. Mechanical replacement. Once I realize, my eyes fly open. I am on a stretcher in the back of an ambulance. I look at the two paramedics standing over me and try to tell them that they can't give me an augmented arm. I'm a gardener. It would be a violation of my religious beliefs. But all that comes off my heavy tongue is... The paramedics look down at me with mild surprise. Oh, hey there. Sorry about that, buddy. Must not have given you enough juice. Let me just... There we go. That should put you right back to sleep. I want to protest, but my eyes are already sliding closed. Damn gardeners. Hurt and killed so many people with that fucking bomb. Yeah. Just a bunch of terrorists, you ask me. That whole church. As I drift back into unconsciousness, I am relieved I was unable to inform the paramedics about my religious affiliation, but also ashamed of my relief. The third time I wake up, the pain has become a dull ache. I squirm a little, trying to banish some of the stiffness from my neck, legs, and arms. Arms, plural. I can move them both. I can move my fingers, too, on both hands. Still, something feels odd about my right hand. With effort, I open my eyes, fighting to keep the drugs from dragging them closed again. But even when I win that battle, I just stare at the ceiling of my hospital room, as if I'll find the courage to look at my arm written there. Slowly, I lift my head. 
Starting just above my elbow, my arm is now a mechanical augment. I am a cyborg. I am repulsed by the abomination I have become, and afraid of what my family and friends will say. Still, I cannot deny the illicit thrill of moving my new arm, feeling with its sensor plates. And just like that, I have become the monster. My earliest memory is of protesting outside of an android factory. My father lifted me onto his shoulders, and I could see every adult I knew shouting, chanting, holding signs. Even though I couldn't have been more than four years old, I knew that the people who worked here were the enemy, polluting the earth with their fake humans. Of course, when you are a gardener, most people are the enemy because most people don't adhere to your narrow worldview that Earth is for humans, and humans are for Earth, and that only pure, unaugmented humans count. And just in case anyone forgot, every night at dinner my mother railed against the enemy and their evil ways. Did you see that another construction company started hiring Augies? She'd ask my father. Yes, dear. He'd mumble around a mouthful of tofu. It's getting pretty bad. Pretty bad? It's disgusting. And it's the company's fault. People wouldn't be so tempted to destroy their humanity by augmenting their bodies if it didn't mean they could get a job easier. I'm going to tell Pastor Harmony that we need to organize a protest in front of their headquarters. Yes, dear. If she wasn't railing against augmented humans, then it was humans who left Earth, humans who built or used androids, or aliens that came to Earth. And every weekend, we'd go to at least one protest, sometimes two or three. Why do you hate us? A woman standing in line for Passage Off World asked our protest group once when I was in middle school. This confused me. Hate her? Gardeners don't hate anyone. We're here because we care. Can't she see that by abandoning her duty to nurture the earth, she's cutting ties with the divine? We just want her and others like her to come back to the path. Of course, I didn't say any of that. I just kept chanting. Abandon the earth in this life, you'll be abandoned in the next. Abandon the earth in this life, you'll be abandoned in the next. Abandon the earth in this life. I come back to the present as a nurse enters my room carrying a tray. A glance at his name tag tells me his name is Paul. His face lights up when he looks at me. Hey, look who's finally awake. How you doing, kiddo? Kiddo, I croak. This guy can't be more than a few years older than me. Wow, you sound like you need a drink, he says, ignoring my incredulity. Here, let me help you out. After adjusting my bed so I'm sitting up, he puts a bendy straw into a glass of water on the tray and raises it to my lips. I sip tentatively at first, then more quickly as I realize just how thirsty I am. After a moment, he pulls the straw out of my mouth. And that's enough for now. Don't want to overdo it and make yourself vomit. I'll set the glass here on your table so you can sip a little when you need it. Thank you, I say, a little less raspy than before. Where am I? Adams County Medical Center. They routed some of you victims of the terrorist attack here so as not to overwhelm the closer hospitals. I try not to flinch at the mention of the bombing as a terrorist attack. But Paul's eyes narrow. I guess my poker face sucks. All right, kid. 
you need to listen to me very closely. When you arrived, you didn't have any ID on you. Now that you're awake, I'm supposed to ask you who you are. But you hit your head pretty hard in that explosion, right? And are currently pumped full of painkillers. So if you can't give me an intelligible answer at this time, I think that would be completely expected. This confuses me. I know who I am. But I do know- Thing is, Paul says, cutting me off, once you're coherent enough to give me your name, the police will want to talk to you about the attack. And your name will determine how compassionate they are when they talk to you. So, between now and whenever you remember your name, might be your last chance to focus on rest and recovery for quite a while. As I look into his eyes, his unspoken message hits me. Paul has guessed that I am a gardener. He believes I was one of the terrorists, but I am still, first and foremost, his patient. So he wants me to get the care I need now, even if he thinks I should rot in prison later. I want to shout that I am not ashamed of my gardener faith. I want to thank him for his kindness. I want to apologize. But no words come. Instead, I just sob as he leaves the room. Cynthia, are you forgetting something? My dad asked my older sister as she was walking out the door, headed to her first year of college. Confused, she looked back. I don't think so, Dad. I made a checklist, and I've got everything. What about this? He held out the chain with the medical dog tags that identified my sister as a gardener, someone who should not be given any mechanical augments, nor be treated by androids, even in the case of a medical emergency. My eyes widened. It's a good thing Dad found those. Cynthia would have gotten all the way to college before she realized she'd forgotten them. How did she miss that they weren't around her neck? I always feel wrong when I take mine. I'm not taking them, Dad. Those five words shook me to my core. How could she say that? What if she got into an accident? She would be putting her very soul in jeopardy. Yes, you are. No! Cynthia whirled to face Dad. Do you know how hard it is to make friends wearing those things? Everyone sees me as a judgmental bigot. There was no way to avoid that in high school, where everyone knew us already. But nobody at college knows me yet. I'm not about to kill my chance at a social life with those stupid tags. Dad shrugged and crossed his arms. Then you're not going. Cynthia's eyebrows crinkled in confusion. What? Of course I'm going. You can't stop me. Dad shrugged again. You're right, I can't stop you. But I don't have to pay for your room and board. Good luck finding a job to pay for that while going to school full-time. Cynthia gasped and raised a hand to her cheek, as if Dad had slapped her. But her eyes still glinted with defiance. Fine. I'll transfer to Branson City College and commute from home. The environmental science program isn't as good, and some of the people will know me from high school, but I think I can make it work if- If I won't support your heretical life choices elsewhere. What makes you think I'd let you keep living under my roof? Dad's voice had an edge to it that scared me. Was he really going to kick Cynthia out over the dog tags? It wasn't like she had gotten an augmentation or anything. Why was he being so extreme? From the horrified look on Cynthia's face, I gathered that she was thinking the same thing. Dad must have seen it too, because his voice softened. Look, sweetie. 
I don't want to have to do this. But what you're talking about here is the first step away from righteousness. It may seem small to you now, but it can lead to true heresy. Just wear the tags. Is such a little thing really worth throwing your future away? Sobbing now, all defiance drained out of her, Cynthia snatched the tags from Dad and stormed out the door, slamming it behind her. The whole exchange left twelve-year-old me confused. How could Cynthia even consider leaving her tags at home? How could Dad threaten her future over those tags? And why couldn't they just talk out their issues instead of yelling and using threats? Once at college, Cynthia rarely came home, always finding projects and internships to fill her breaks. How proud my parents were of her passionate dedication to environmental initiatives, which is why it was such a blow to them when she renounced her faith upon graduating. They cut off all contact with her. I haven't seen or spoken to my big sister for two years, but I still remember the last words she said to me before telling our parents she was leaving the church. I love you, little brother. I love mom and dad, too. What I'm about to do doesn't change that. I know you won't understand, but I hope someday you will. She was right. I didn't understand. How could she leave us? Abandon the church? Turn her back on everything we believed? How could she leave me? As I think about Cynthia, I realize my own tags identifying me as a gardener are missing. Weird. In the past, any time they weren't around my neck, I was distinctly aware of their absence. This time, I noticed it only after... How long have I been awake? Maybe my head is rattled. The more I think about the missing tags, the more I understand why my sister wanted to leave them at home. I don't know where in the process I lost them, but if I still had them when I arrived at the medical center, the police would have immediately placed me under guard. I am benefiting from their inability to prejudge me based on my religion. As I finally understand why Cynthia wanted to leave her tags at home, a pang of guilt runs through me. Am I ashamed of being a gardener? I want to be angry that the police would profile me based on my religion. But it's hard to be angry, knowing they have good reason for their prejudices. After all, it was gardeners who blew up that android factory. And not just any gardeners. The terrorists were my friends. I remember it all so clearly. I knew I should be back in my dorm room studying. Finals were coming up. But I was a lowly freshman, taken in and welcomed by a group of gardener upperclassmen. They gave me acceptance and community when I felt so alone and isolated. I finally felt that I was a part of something. Which is why I found myself out in the middle of the night with a backpack full of spray paint for the third time this spring. I had been so nervous the first two times, afraid we were going to get caught, arrested. But that third time, I was feeling a thrill. Here we were, the rebels, pushing back against the fragile sensibilities of Augies and mech lovers. And unlike those cowardly trolls who attacked from behind anonymous screen names, We were out here openly tagging places responsible for the mechanical bastardization of the human race. Our target was an android factory, not unlike the one at which we used to protest back home long ago. They had told me where along the fence to meet, but when I arrived, 
I found the fencing cut and no one there. As quietly as I could, I climbed through the gap in the fence, but when I turned to pull the backpack through behind me, it caught. I pulled it loose, and the whole section of fence rattled. I froze. Was that as loud as I think it was? Did anyone else hear that? Do I go find the others, or get the hell out of here? Hey Pete, is that you? I spun around, falling against the fence and making it rattle again. I had to take several deep breaths before my heart stopped racing. Yeah, yeah Josh, it's me. I thought we were meeting outside the fence. We were, but we got here a little early, so we decided to start setting up. Setting up? Yep, we're doing something a little different this time. Come take a look. Excited to see what these pranksters, my friends, my brothers, had cooked up this time, I followed Josh to the side of the factory building. A few flashlights shone in the darkness. Whoa, is that... I had not expected a bomb. Uh Uh-huh. Josh's eyes were dancing. We're gonna blow this whole place sky high. Strike a blow for the earth and all pure humans. But, wait, what about... I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Graffiti was one thing. Blowing up a building? A very different and far more dangerous thing. What's the matter, Pete? Don't tell me you're losing your nerve. I thought you were one of us. That we could count on you. I shook my head, not wanting to let them down, but also not wanting to blow up a building. I could see no way out, though. Won't the police come after us? This is a much bigger deal than simple vandalism, especially if someone gets hurt. Relax. We're pretty sure there's nobody here. Alex knows a guy who used to work here, says the assembly room stuff is fully automated, and the rest of the factory closes down for the night. Can you imagine? Robots building robots that pretend to be human. Disgusting, right? Yeah, disgusting. Though relieved that no one would be hurt, I still wasn't comfortable with the idea of blowing up a building, occupied or not manufacturing abominations or not, but I could think of no way out of this situation. Then, a new, brighter flashlight rounded the corner. Hey, what are you kids doing? This is private property. Some of the guys started to scramble. What? Thought no one would be here. Wasn't supposed to be guarded. A flashlight passed over the security guard's face, and I caught a glimpse of a sneer. You're those gardener shits who've been vandalizing the city, aren't you? I've got news for you. You're done here. Every potential target for your bullshit is guarded now. Oh, and the police are on their way. Stick around. I'm sure they'd love to have a nice long chat with you. The faint sound of sirens caught my ear. He wasn't lying. I turned, ready to run back to the cut in the fence, when Alex, our de facto leader, called out something that rooted me in place. You and this factory have chosen to violate humanity and our mother the earth. We, her protectors, have called out your blasphemy with words, but no longer. For humanity! For humanity! A few of the guys responded. A couple others started to run. Hardly comprehending what I was hearing, I glanced back at Alex and the others. For the earth! Alex shouted. For the earth, came the reply. The security guard's eyes met mine. I saw my own fear and confusion mirrored there. Surely, with all of us right there, Alex wouldn't... The explosion sent me sprawling. I hit my head and was just trying to struggle upwards, 
dizzy, ears ringing, when the building collapsed on us. I don't know when I started crying again, but tears are running down my cheeks as I think back on the explosion. What the hell am I supposed to do now? I can be the good little gardener, proudly proclaiming my faith while refusing to rat out my... I hesitate to call them friends anymore. The church would have to officially disown me, but privately many of them would consider me a hero. But what good will that do me as a one-armed man in prison for life? Do I really owe those assholes that kind of loyalty? No. I had nothing to do with their stupid plan to blow up that factory. I'll tell the police everything. I don't know how much they'll believe me, but I don't deserve to spend the rest of my life in prison for spray-painting a few walls and having shit friends. With any luck, they'll cut me a deal. A short prison sentence. Or maybe even probation. But... No. If I do that, no gardener will ever trust me again. It won't matter that those assholes committed a major felony. I'll be the one no one ever wants to associate with. I'd be an outcast among gardeners, and an outcast from the world for being a gardener. Of course, I could also testify against the terrorists, then just leave the whole gardener circus behind. The idea is terrifying. Still, as I look down at my new arm, I remember something my dad once said to Cynthia and me when we faced off against armed guards at a particularly rowdy protest. It is important to do the right thing even if it scares you. Especially if it scares you. Despite my terror and despair, I can't help but laugh imagining the look on Dad's face if he knew I was using his words to justify turning my back on the church. But why shouldn't I? Isn't it the church's views about androids and human augmentation that led those guys to vandalism and even terrorism? Wasn't it the church that organized protests that had children chanting and yelling at people who were just getting mechanical prosthetics to make their lives a little easier? People like me? I close my eyes and move each finger on my new hand. I make a fist. I turn my arm, first one way and then another. I will be able to live and work much more easily with this mechanical arm than without it. How can that be bad? And if it isn't bad, then how can shouting at people who are just trying to get by be the right thing to do? And if the church is wrong about augmentation, how can I trust it? How is it not the bad guy everyone says it is? I really am the monster, but I've been the monster since long before I got this arm. Maybe I don't have to be anymore. Using my new hand, I pick up the phone next to my hospital bed. I follow the instructions, then dial a number I memorized years ago, hoping it still works. After three rings, someone picks up the phone. Hello? Relief floods through me as I recognize the voice on the other end of the line. The one person who will understand. Hey, Synth. It's me, Pete. Can we talk? This has been I Am The Monster. If you enjoyed this story, please subscribe to the podcast and share it on social media. If you would like to help Wild Speculation continue to grow and improve, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash wildspeculation. 
And for updates about the podcast and other projects I am working on, be sure to follow me at twitter.com wspeculation and at facebook.com wildspeculation. As Season 2 continues, we will be dropping a new episode every two weeks. In the next episode, we will be visiting the world of reimagined mythology, a genre we explored last season, albeit with a very different take. So look for that in two weeks. I'm Andrew Rising, and this has been Wild Speculation. Until next time, let your imagination run wild.